All right. Well, happy Friday, everyone, and uh, welcome back for another set of learning tech talks where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. And today's going to be a fun one. We're talking about video and the ever-present kind of concept of bringing YouTube to your company. And, and we'll dig into that one because that's a that's a phrase I think needs to go the way of the dinosaurs. But we'll dig into that. And so I am joined by Sridhar Shukla and Sunil Gaitonde, right? Am I close? Yeah, you, you're pretty close. Pretty close, pretty close. I know. It's you did well. You did well, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I remembered to ask before we came live. I hate when I forget to ask and then somehow I just try and take a stab at it. I think I've only had one where I couldn't I couldn't even get close to it. So anyway, so we're going to get live. We're going to be talking about this stuff. I'm looking forward to our discussion around this because it's really about how do you maximize the power of video? We talk a lot about using more video, but I really want to dig into this. How do you do that well and think bigger about how you do that in a way that's adding value versus just doing video for the sake of video? So we're going to have some fun with this. But before we get into the conversation, right, we've got to get our icebreakers out of the way, but in a positive way. I say that like it's negative, but these are so much fun. So let's start with where are you in the world today? And everybody watching, I'd encourage you to participate and play along as well. So let's start with, I'm going to go with Shridhar. Where are you today? Oh, I'm in a city called Pune, okay. and only people living here can pronounce that. It is spelled as P-U-N-E, but you pronounce it as Pune. Okay, all right. So it's it's about 80 miles southeast of Mumbai, okay. which used to be Bombay in India. All right. It's you're, you're decent city about, what time is it for you right now? Uh, it's about 9.30 p.m. Okay, not that. All right, all right. That's, well, that's... Not that late. Not too bad, but again, you're you're on a show. Wow, kudos to you on a Friday. Friday evening, I'm <laughs> hiding my glass of whiskey here. There, you know what? If you take a sip, I won't mind because now we've covered the fact that it is 9:30, so that's totally fine. All right, yeah. let's jump over to you, Sunil. Where are you? By by the way, one interesting fact about Pune, as he said, where he's where he's from, uh, the game of badminton was actually uh, invented in Pune. The game of badminton, home of badminton. See, we just learned something today. So if you're watching this video, you now have a new fun fact. Yes. <laughs> All right, Sunil, where are you? Yes, I'm based in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, right. You're just you're just a little bit south of me, so you get to deal yes. with all the snow and the cold that we're dealing with. Where Shridhar, it's quite a bit warmer. Although yes. you, you said it was a balmy 60 degrees. It's one of the coldest days here in the winter. About. <laughs> 55 degrees per night, but it's one of the coldest. Oh man. Oh man. Well, let's, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Cause I'll just get, I'll just get sad. I don't want to make you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go to our icebreaker question. And again, those of you watching, you can play along, but this one's going to be fun. I know my story's got, got some humor to it, but let's do this one. We're talking about video. So the icebreaker naturally makes sense to have something to do with video. So what was the first video you ever produced and we did have the clarification point backstage you know that it's the one that you remember so it, it can't be one from when you were you know too young to remember so sunil let's start with you let's reverse the order what was the first describe it tell me a little bit about it yeah so the first video i actually remember making uh, not including the ones where i was just testing if my camera actually works 
<laughs> was um, we actually at the company itself. So this was about I would say 2003, 2004 time frame, okay. maybe 2005, I guess. We actually created a video called the company. So company. around that time, there was a movie called the company that was released by Bollywood. Okay. And uh, it was pretty violent uh, movie about how things work in a company. It's like a mob story. And uh, we sort of mapped a bunch of characters from that movie into our company executives. Damn. So everybody was dressed in a real, you know, fancy way and was delivering dialogues in a really poor form. The whole movie, what you could call was a uh, complete disaster, but extremely humorous as everybody in the company was watching. Okay. Wow. So was this thing full length? Like, was this a full length production? I would say it was about 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't quite, you know, a two hour cinema, but it also wasn't a five minute clip. I like that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Full video production crew, the whole thing, or did you just no, do no, it? No, no, no. It was just us. We, we right. were, uh, bad, I mean, we were bad at pretty much everything acting, okay. script. Uh, how we uh, shot it. You didn't win any Academy it. Awards or anything for that one, though. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, Shridhar, how about you? What's your What's your video production story? Yeah, so I'm going to. Uh, what I remember is the one where I was all alone in a conference room with my laptop and a webcam, trying to record like a corporate message <laughs> about what the company wants to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, I don't know how many takes I took. I, I'd come in early and I went on recording. I didn't like even one take. Finally, I got sick and tired and I said, take the last one and do what you want with it. And like yeah. magic, that was, it went perfect, right? I, well, uh, later I realized that they all looked alike and I didn't have <laughs> to not like any one of them. But during the creation process, I never liked even one. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So mine, mine is actually, I'm going to take you back to my high school days. I'll, we'll go, we're, we're going, we're going in the time machine back to high school. And it was for my high school Spanish class, right? We had to, we had to do a project and myself and a couple of my friends decided rather than write a report or something like that, we would, we would do a, we would do a video. We were going to do a video where we would do everything in Spanish. And it was honestly the dumbest video I think we ever made, we borrowed my friend's parents' camcorder, right? This thing that weighed like 50 pounds that you walked around. And it, it was the stupidest video we ever made. But what was fun, and we actually, my teacher, I later found out she would have given us an F on it because we did such basic stuff. But what we did in the video that actually ended up getting us an A on the project was we put all of our, our bloopers at the end of the video, going back to your point, Tridar, there were a ton of times where we're like, no, we didn't do it right. Or we'd mess up or we'd start laughing or something would happen. Anyway, we put all those at the end for everybody to watch because we just thought it was funny. She goes, that's what got you the A because I saw how much time and practice you actually put into the language. Because based on the original video, it was pretty short. We just used very basic Spanish. We didn't go, we didn't have big dialogues. And she goes, based on that, I wouldn't have thought you really put much effort into it. But when I saw the bloopers and the takes and everything that you did, I ended up giving you an A. So I, I tried to find it. It's in a box in my basement somewhere. I would have brought a clip, but um, unfortunately I don't have that. So anyway, all right, well, let's change gears. Let's change gears out of, out of icebreakers and into the conversation around video for, 
I say learning, developing talent, honestly, performance support, communications, change. I mean, there is a whole lot of uses for this stuff. But before we get into this, you're both the co-founders. So we got to hear the story. And you shared with me before we went live that this goes back. This goes back. Well, I went in my time machine to high school. You go way back. So what's what's the story of how you two met? But then also, how did that lead to K-Point? So uh, there is actually no direct link between uh, what we did in high school and K-Point, but um, we have been friends since eighth grade and uh, okay. uh, close enough friends that uh, before uh, even Wait, eating. you told me that you knew about, you planned K-Point when you met, right? <laughs> I thought that was the, you're changing this on me. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we would like to rewrite history too. Um, so... Uh, uh, we, we have been friends since eighth uh, grade, uh, they call it standard in India, but since eighth yeah. grade. And we were close enough friends that when we went to, we actually went to different engineering schools, the Indian Institute of Technology in India. I was in near the one near Calcutta called Kharagpur, and he was in Mumbai. But we, even during that time and later, even before email become uh, became prevalent, we used to communicate with each other writing letters. So we were that close uh, friends. Okay. So we both came to the U.S. around 83. And I'll tell you, Christopher, Sunil is very organized. So he has kept all those letters. And he's waiting <laughs> he's for the right moment to expose me. <laughs> yeah. There's a filing cabinet under his desk right there. Actually, funny thing, one of the first emails he sent me, I still have it. So this was uh, around 1984 or 85 time frame. So, so as I said, we've been close friends, but uh, after uh, we both got a PhD, but our careers went in different directions. Uh, and Sridhar will tell more about what he did. But I was uh, in the US, I stayed in the US uh, since then and worked for IBM. Then I had my own startup that uh, Cisco bought in 95. So I continued with that. While I was at Cisco, Sridhar actually went back to India and was uh, one of the early employees of a company that eventually went public. And uh, we, again, stayed continuously in communication. In fact, quite a few, many, a couple of his customers uh, I had actually forwarded to him. Okay. So around 2003, 2004 timeframe, we decided that um, we wanted to do something different. And we started a company called GS Lab, or okay. Great Software Laboratory. So Great Software Laboratory, Grow, grew fairly rapidly. And uh, we realized that we also had some people leaving over a period and we realized that all of the expertise, new people when they joined, they hardly had any expertise. Okay. People who had expertise were leaving. So we needed some way of communicating it. And we found that uh, writing documents just wasn't cutting it. So we decided we'll record videos. And I don't know if you've seen webinar videos or any other kind of videos, they're boring as hell to watch. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> so we said, well, I have them in my Netflix playlist. I sit and binge watch webinar videos all the time. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I live on these things. Yes, they can cure insomnia. You know? so, <laughs> so we said there has to be a better way to watch. It's become so easy to create videos, but uh, we need to figure out a way to find stuff inside videos. Okay. And so that's how uh, the concept of K-Point came about. We said, it is not enough that we can record videos and can put them in one place, but we need some okay. way of searching through them. So okay. 
that's how the and that's, and that's how, now okay so background though just so i have a little because i'm, I'm going to i'm going to dive into this one um but so you you both were in the kind of entrepreneurial space but technical are both your backgrounds technical then were you in the yes. okay yes so i have a degree in computer engineering okay. uh, a phd in computer engineering but i was pretty hardcore uh, coder until i joined cisco which happened okay. through an acquisition so I became a manager, but uh, even then I was quite involved in it. Same with you, Sridhar. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, my my degree is also in computer engineering, and my first job was with the U.S. Navy, believe it or not. Okay. I I worked for the Naval Postgraduate School, which is a university on the beautiful Central Coast of California. So that was my first job for six years. Okay. And then then I returned to India. Okay. Then became an entrepreneur. Well, yeah. see, the thing about it is, and I, this is maybe just an envious thing, but like I, I would love to be that skilled to be able to go, you know what? I see this, you know, I'm just going to make it. I'm just going to make a, a solution to this. Okay. So, anyway, so you had this issue, you were leaving people. And again, I think organizations deal with this all the time the tribal knowledge that people bring with them, their internal expertise, they go. And it walks out the door with them and it's forever gone and and you just really don't know how so you decided to create something different with it now when was that when did you actually launch when did you actually launch that okay by the way it's not only that what happens is oh, yeah, go for it. we were oh, going <laughs> because we were going growing rapidly okay uh, what used to happen is we would have people sometimes in tens or hundreds joining on a monday or uh, you know the next guy joins on a wednesday and so on and the team leader who has to bring them on board had to keep repeating himself or herself. Yep. So yeah. videos were really a great medium, but we wanted to make them somewhat more engaging and interesting. So that's how it, so, so to answer your question specifically, we the company was incubated inside GS Lab, which was okay. the previous company we co-founded. Okay. And then around 2000, uh, go for it. Yeah, 2011, we spun out uh, K point as an independent company, and we have been running it since. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. I, I, I want to share one one more aspect of this. You know, when uh, we were doing business from India with American companies, when we founded GS Lab, and you know there is a 10, 10 and a half to thirteen and a half time zone difference, <laughs> and so whenever we had business meetings, somebody was going to sleep or somebody was waking up. And you can imagine that, you know, you can't really concentrate. Yep. And so there, there was this need to be able to view the webinar recording later, just to be able to go over the important stuff that got discussed and you were too sleepy to cross. Yeah. Or you, you were dropping your kids, uh, putting them to bed or what have you. So we said, you know, this recording of web meetings was very important to create yeah. and make them searchable as soon as Okay. Okay. Well, so you're hitting on two things. And I think from a use case standpoint, I mean, I, I look at this, I actually got into a conversation with someone about this the other day, you know, the, the power of video with things like that. I mean, the reality is delivering content live is, is really one of the most challenging and I think inefficient ways to do it. Now that doesn't mean you can't do it that way, but to do it only live, in my opinion, is a disservice because to your point, People either are distracted or they don't have time or they can't make that meeting. We're dealing with global organizations, all these different factors. I, I even got off a call with someone the other day where they just said, 
some people just talk too slow. I want to be able to run things at one and a half speed so that I can I can listen to it and watch it while I'm doing something, but not necessarily have to be like, wow, this person talks you know, really slow. I need what they need, but I, I just can't sit around. So I think there's a lot of power behind this, whether it is capturing this knowledge, but actually actually solving the problem. So with that though, when when you look at that, I've heard lots of people say, we need to do more with this. We should We should capture more things. We need to have more videos. But the challenge is that's a little bit easier said than done. So obviously, as you were looking at creating a solution to do this, because there's video hosting platforms now. I mean, you can be like, oh, yeah, we can just host videos anywhere. What were some of the things that as you got into that, you had to tackle? Because I can even say from my experience, even getting people to create a video is not always as easy as you'd like to think. We have equipment, but it's not always the equipment that's the issue. So what are some of those things that you've seen over the years as you've seen people move towards this to try and actually overcome some of those barriers? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. So one of the things I would like to say is that we have never looked at videos as something you use for learning, even yeah. though it's one of the most uh, popular use case for us. So we are about sharing information. Yeah. And videos are probably the best medium to share information. So fundamentally, we come from that view. So. What we found is that it takes quite a bit of effort in any company to share. I mean, for example, uh, the big companies I worked for a long time ago, we used to write documents all the time uh, <laughs> to share information. Yeah. Nobody sat down and said, how do we inculcate a culture of writing documents? Because it was just there. Okay, yeah. so now what we... Uh, I do understand that there are people have uh, sometimes unrealistic expectations of what their video should look like. So as long as there is a champion of the sharing culture inside an organization, they need to create some sort of a marketing program. For example, one of our customers has a, a whole bunch of videos everybody creates in the organization, or a large number of people create in the organization, but they've rebranded it as how-to. So whatever you want to do and whatever you want to find, it's in the how-to portal. Okay. How does the stuff get into how-to portal? Because people create it. And they what they have chosen is they've chosen agility over perfection. Okay. It is kind of made very clear to everybody, there is no way you're going to get a perfect video and nobody expects it. In fact, the imperfections might even make it look cute. So <laughs> go for it. See what happens. And bad content will eventually go down to the bottom anyway. So it doesn't yeah. really matter. So that's fundamentally where we come from. Okay. Well, I think you hit on mm -hmm. a couple of things that are really important, which is one, I think sometimes we get caught up in this whole, you know, oh, it's a, it's a learning tool. But yes, but it's not just that. And I think thinking more broadly than just, oh, we can use these for training videos. It's not only more impactful to the organization, but I think it also makes it easier to sell the case for this because if you're just saying, hey, here's another video tool that for learning, yeah. it's it's way too specific of a use case versus, hey, let's yeah. let's use this more broadly. But I think yeah. the thing that, you know, I, I just laugh now, the part part of the thing I was laughing about was thinking back to Sridhar's his first video that he created. And how many people who have created a video, if you're watching, you know, let me know. But I've been there where when you first start producing video, 
you do it and you're like, no, that's, oh, that's just, hang on. I got to, I got to do it again. That wasn't quite right. Or I, I messed this up or I didn't like this or, oh shoot, that my background's not, you're, you're caught up on all these details instead of thinking about the fact that that's not why people are watching the video or, or engaging with the content. They're engaging with the content because they need something from it, or they're trying to figure something out or learn or find information that they need versus, oh, I really don't like that. I really don't like that heating vent behind Christopher. That's that's super, no, nobody's paying attention to that. But I think sometimes we put ourselves on that level to, to create video content. Yeah. So Christopher, there are a couple of points I, uh, I have learned over the last 10 years. Yeah. Number one, you know, people think uh, video is camera, but not at all. Video is something on the screen and great audio. Okay. And people really forget that uh, the quality of the audio is far more important than what's on the screen because that's just the way we work. And um, so if people get that right, they produce great content. Now, one of the hurdles that we have seen is that you know, there is just this fear of creating a video because you know if you look if you look at our schooling and college too we are always writing something you know somebody's correcting we are so well trained in writing text that we don't think twice about writing a few paras but you know we never got put through that training to create a video or speak in a way that makes sense to people so you know once people get over that you know we, we are all trained to talk but while creating the video, we don't believe we are talking. Once you get over that hump, then you start creating great content. Okay. Okay. I got, I, so, well, and you know, it is interesting about that because you do see a difference too. And I think one of the things where you'll see this come to life, what's your, your point of how you're bringing this up is you can tell when somebody's creating video content and they're creating it as though they're reading right? Like they're, they're just reading something versus talking, like you said, versus just communicating with someone and, and having that conversation. It's part of the reason I think interviews have been so popular in terms of podcasts and things like that, where people are hearing a dialogue between two people versus somebody reading, reading a script, things like that. But the psychological effect is a, it's a big one. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit because I am curious how you've seen, you hit on it a little bit, Sunil, in terms of how some organizations have done this. But I can tell you, I had one initiative where we we wanted to do this and I came in late to the game, but there was this similar idea of like, let's create the, let's create the knowledge sharing using video. And let's just say they va we vastly underestimated the psychological barriers and then the sustainability of it. And it went down like the Hindenburg would be, would be a very kind way to put it. So, you know, from a process standpoint, where do you see organizations starting with this? Because I think you, it's, it's tempting to come in and go, we're going to do this and everybody's going to create video and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be awesome. And it normally doesn't go that way. So I'm curious, where do you see organizations start? Where, where do they usually start if they're looking to do more of this? Okay. So the, the, there are various reasons why people, you, first of all, you need a critical mass for anything to be successful. Okay. okay. So how, to, so the question really remains as to how do you get to the critical mass? So the most effective way probably is the mandate. Okay. But people usually don't like make it. Make people do it. Yeah. Make people do it. People usually don't like it. 
And in some cases, it doesn't make sense. So you have to figure out whether mandate makes sense for you or not. But I do want to, before you finish that though, I want to, I want to jump on this. The, when we talk about critical mass, just in case this doesn't resonating or it doesn't click, we're talking about, you have to create basically a, a baseline of content to get this off the ground. Because if you just say, Hey, we did this thing and there's one video from Christopher, it's not going to be enough to really generate what you're looking for. Correct. Is that what you mean when you say you've got to create that critical mass? Yes. So uh, even in an organization, organization, they follow the internet rule, right? Only 10% create and uh, the rest kind of watch or kibitz. Yep. So um, you have to somehow get to the 10%. So there is fresh con content coming in all the time. Okay. And as Shudar mentioned earlier, most people are not comfortable creating videos because that's not the, what they usually do. They look at it as if it, they're producing some, some sort, of a, sort of a film. Okay. They don't have that much, uh, that many misgivings when they're writing a document, but they do have saying the same stuff in a in a video. So, so mandate is the first, uh, probably the most effective way to do it. Okay. As long as people kind of either submit to it or somehow accept it or feel that yeah, it's sort of justified, we should do it. Okay, and justified, I think that's an important one. There has to be a purpose behind it. You can't just say we mandate everybody go create a video of Correct. something. There, there yeah. has to be some sort of, we're trying to drive towards this. We want to create, share your perspective on something so that to your point, psychologically, people can connect and say, oh, okay, I can create a piece of content towards this thing. Correct, correct. The second is incentives. So uh, this is actually an interesting story, not related to videos. When I was at Cisco, they had just, just uh, maybe a month or two months before that switched to an automated performance evaluation system. Until that time, we used to download some form from their website and we would fill it, type it in, and then we'd do performance evaluation. So they switched to this system. Nobody wanted to, none of the managers, including me, we were not interested in using this online thing. It seemed like foreign, we had to learn something new, just didn't want to do it. Okay. This would rather it download it and fill out the old paper form and mail it in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so guess what um, they did? They said the first 100 people to sign up for this, we will give you a free T-shirt. Okay, now most people at Cisco have paid very well. These T-shirts probably cost $3. <laughs> okay, but a lot of people signed up. I was one of them. I was one of the first 100, so I got my T-shirt. But just for that, people, so you have to kind of come up with incentive programs that get people motivated. So you could get to the critical mass. And then the third thing kicks in. The third thing that kicks in is pe most people like recognition. You know, they like to be told, hey, the stuff you produced was great. It was very, or it was useful. Maybe it was not all that great, but it was very useful. So once they start getting that kind of recognition, they start producing the content themselves. Okay. So eventually you may have mandated 90% uh, of employees to do something. Uh, more than half of them, or even more than that, maybe 90% of those are going to drop up, drop off. Okay. But 10% critical masses will you will get to, and that I think works eventually. Okay. Well, and and so what's funny about this, and even the one, even the initiative I had that didn't that didn't go so well. The one thing that we did do well was we did have that critical mass, and we followed a similar process. And I think that's a valuable point for people who may be trying to do more around video. Uh -huh is there is a change management tail, right? It's not the tail, it's the nose, 
right? It's the nose of this thing that you have to prepare for to say, you can't just turn this thing on and go. There, there's kind of a leading up to it because it takes time. You've got yeah. to be able to make that connection and drive that and say, yeah. let's figure that out. Let me say one quick oh. thing. Uh, yeah. failed in a number of organizations. We have. So this doesn't actually work every single time. But wherever it has worked, it has taken this kind of a pattern with a strong champion that drives this from to a critical mass. So it's not a 100% guaranteed way of doing it, but you've seen consistency in when it does work, that's kind of the problem. There's, there's this initial kind of mandate that's connected to a greater purpose. You're still going to get the drop off, which I think sometimes that's a, a hard lesson or not hard lesson, but I think sometimes you need to kind of adjust to the fact that not everybody's going to do it. And that's okay. You need to accept the fact, don't be trying to get 100% participation because you won't. It's just not going to happen. But then also, so the incentivization helps drive that. And I'm guessing based yeah. on the organizational skills that uh, Sridhar mentioned earlier, you probably still have that t-shirt in one of the drawers behind you. <laughs> so uh, there was one more angle I wanted to point out, Christopher. Yeah. Is, you know, we, we are about video at work, right? So whenever someone is at work, they are very conscious of their time and productivity. You know, that's the natural behavior of a person. So nobody is going to do anything that is either A, not mandated, okay. or B, not directly useful. Okay. So let's leave aside the mandate part, you know. Let's go more towards, you know, where people are uh, doing videos of their own accord and people are consuming them because they find value in it. And so, uh, like you were saying, you need a champion to map a certain work process to the benefit that they're looking for, and video just happened to be the vehicle for that. Yeah. So one example I want to tell you about, uh, you know, we recently applied for an award for one of our customers. This is Here Technologies with Toby Newman. Um, and they made it to the finals at Learning Performance International. Okay. And you know the use case was like this, and it's the ten-year-old use case that I told you about. You know, it was Bill Gates, I think, who said, you know, we always overestimate what will happen in a couple of years, but seriously underestimate what will happen in ten years. Okay. So that's kind of what has happened. You know, the pandemic has brought in so much video, people don't have time to watch it. Moreover, you know, critical stuff gets exchanged and they have to go to someone. So the process they applied was, you know, stuck in all the web meeting recordings, keep them in a well-known place, make sure the content coming in is good quality as in it's full of information. And very soon that particular web page where there were links of these videos became the go-to place for people to get the latest product information. You know, once that became known as a good watering hole, people started going there and putting stuff there. It, you know what's funny about that? And I think this is, I don't think this is just a video thing. I see this with a lot of initiatives where we don't always give it the time to take hold. We, Like you said, we vastly underestimate the time it takes for big changes like this to happen and for, you know, even things to, to, to get out to people. I even think back when I first was about to start learning Tech Talks, People told me, they said, it might be two years before you even get an audience because it just takes time for people to realize, you know, what this is and, and where the value is and, and 
even find out about it. Maybe they didn't know. So I think that is an important piece to highlight that sometimes, especially with something like this, where you've got a fair amount of, you've got a fair amount of barriers. You've got people who may be nervous to create videos. So that dwindles the number, you know, people are busy with other things and you got to put it somewhere where people can find it so that it, and then give it the time it takes to mature. So it sounds like at least in that use case, once that took off, then, then, you know, that became the source where people went for content, correct? Especially it sounds like for product. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, you want to get the latest information about your own product and you need that one authoritative source. Once your videos and your video repository becomes that source, everyone is going to go there. Okay. So I got to ask this, because this is one of the ones I've, and I have a perspective on this. I have a perspective on all the questions I ask, which is kind of the fun of this. But anyway, which is good. <laughs> so, so this is one of the ones you'll see, especially in regulated environments or even just in general. Let's let's talk product, right? Is that, and this is a risk. I think no matter what, whether you write it down or whatever. And maybe I'm giving an answer to how I feel about this anyway. But sometimes you'll get the pushback, which is, well, but this video content. Who's who's policing it? Who's making sure all the content in the video is 100% accurate? Who's actually then making sure that it's in compliance and that we're not, you know, putting things out there that shouldn't be out there? So, I will acknowledge that is a risk that you need to address, but I'm curious how you've worked with clients or what you've seen yeah, when that, seen that I hear it all the time. Oh, we can, we couldn't ever do social learning. We couldn't ever do user-generated content. It's just too risky. Yeah. 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 So I'll tell you my view, and you know, Sunil, feel free to chime in with yours, which could be different. Is you know, whenever something new comes into an organization, there are people who want to manage it. Okay. And you know, that's kind of the wrong thing to do because nobody is at work to do the wrong thing. But there are some people who would create that fear and you know uncertainty doubt and say, I want to manage it. And you kind of stifle the speed at which it would get adopted. We've seen that all organizations who did not worry about that ended up using far better use of the video than those who really wanted to sit there and control stuff. Okay. You know, this is this is about sharing at work. You know, you, you don't want to control it. You want to let it flow. And if you try to do that, you're going to kill the essence of it. So we've seen that behavior and those who had that took some more time to adopt and others who didn't, you know, just took off. Okay. So actually, it depends on what people are sharing, right? It's not like every day at work, we're sharing something. All the video platform is doing is it's allowing to uh, you to share some things using the video. Uh, so if you let's say you controlled it and stopped that kind of sharing, there is somebody who's writing stuff on the whiteboard that's probably inaccurate and <laughs> sharing it. <laughs> Well, what's funny about it is, and, and this is all right. So I, I kind of tipped my hand on this, but this is, this one is a, a bit of a pain point or a frustration point for me. Cause to your point, there's always somebody who's trying to control it or trying to, to your point, incite fear around, well, things. And again, I don't want to completely downplay the fact that yes, there are risks that you have to assess, especially in certain, in certain industries, certain situations. So you, you need to approach it from a risk-based standpoint. That said, I feel like to your point, and you brought this up, um, uh, Sunil, is the fact that you're operating off a faulty assumption. 
you're operating off the fact that no content that's inaccurate is being produced anywhere, right? You're, you're operating that that's not happening today. To your point, whether it's a whiteboard, somebody's sending an email, somebody put together a PowerPoint presentation that got forwarded around to people that, well, that wasn't accurate. That didn't go through a compliance process where every single thing was validated and checked before. But that's happening. I think of the elephant path that you a lot of times see where people will take the path of least resistance. So if you say, hey, this video platform where we're creating video content for knowledge sharing and doing this, we're creating this, but we added 37 steps to, to compliance the heck out of this thing so that you can't you know, get, there's no accidental mistakes. People are just going to go around it. They're going to say, well, then we won't use that. Then we're just going to use this other channel and still transmit the same information because we need to communicate with people. Yes, absolutely. So, so there is often, uh, I mean, there is some information that needs to be controlled yes. and needs to be uh, distributed in a way that makes sure that it is accurate. And so I, I think people needs to, need to use their judgment to do so. There are also organizations that believe they at least need some modicum of control. So anytime somebody publishes something through a video, there's a concept of a reviewer. So you make sure that it is uh, reviewed by somebody. But remember, most of the content where we appear is internal content. So internal content, somebody can just simply send an email to somebody with all sorts of inaccurate stuff, a PowerPoint, as we talked about earlier. So this is not really adding any additional complexity to that situation. It is just making it probably easy to convey good information. It is doing nothing to exacerbate your bad information. Right. So I think that's the way it needs to be uh, communicated. Yeah. I yeah, it's well, and again, I mean, again, there are there are definitely, and I think this is where you take a risk-based approach when you look at this. Because are there certain? I, I think of an example: healthcare. Let's say pharmaceuticals. During my time in pharma, commercial professionals and and regulatory or the or the clinical development professionals they 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 aren't supposed to be talking because you don't want a commercial person talking about something that's still in product development right that's a that's a risk okay yes in those instances you can control and i'm guessing kpoint has this built in the ability to control saying hey these audiences yeah. cannot share yeah. content across yeah. the board so yeah. they have that protection to say yes we need to take the security protocols into place so we don't get ourselves in liable trouble that said, we also need to recognize that creating a bottleneck where every single video that comes through needs to be watched and reviewed by someone is is not the right approach. That's that's swinging the pendulum yeah. the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so, Christopher, there are you. You mentioned one of those. You know, the appropriate uh, access control to content is very important because you know at the end of the day, organizations have a risk in making sure. Uh, if, if the content were to leave the perimeter of the org, so that risk has to be addressed. Yeah. And access control of the content, approval step that Sunil mentioned, and the th third point is a very strong audit trail. And in case of videos, to not be able to ever download the video. That is technology. Yeah. And you just don't let the video become downloadable. Barring somebody's screen scraping, even there, you know, there are techniques that come in where you watermark it and you detect something. So as long as these three or four things are done, 
the workflow does not have to be hampered with approvals and check marks so that sharing goes on freely. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to, I think you mentioned it before, people come to work for the most part, most people, the vast majority of people come to work to do the best that they can do, to do you know positive things, to drive the organization forward, to be successful at their job, things like that. People aren't coming in to try and, and I think sometimes we do this not just with video, but with other things. We make, we make decisions based off the exception. Well, what if yeah. one person who had a bad day at work goes haywire and records a bunch of stuff and puts it, okay, we're, we're going to, prevent innovation and prevent, you know, knowledge sharing and, and prevent all these positives because of this 0.001% chance that someone over here might do something crazy. I think it's just a disservice to the organizations we serve. Yeah. Yeah. Go with not guilty by default as against guilty by default. Okay. Okay. So, so let's talk about, you know, the other piece I'm interested in this from a consumption standpoint. You know, what does this look like or, or how have you seen organizations set this up? Because, you know, I, I think, you know, to your point about what Toby did at here, which he's watching, by the way. So, hey, Toby, um, you know, when we talk about that, I, I'm curious because one of the other challenges that I think sometimes people deal with is figuring out where do they go for things? Because they, there's a lot of different places that people are trying to remember. Oh, I've got to remember, you know, I go to this site and this site or this site and this site. Now, yeah. how are people balancing that as they're going into these video strategies? Are they approaching it more from a, they're integrating these into existing tools where people yes. are, or are they kind of creating their own space where like YouTube, you go to YouTube separately, or is it both? It is both. So what happens, uh, Christopher, is that people in a company need one well-known place to keep their video. Okay. So that they don't think, should I keep it in this system, that system, and over a period, the video content gets fragmented. So you give them one central repository for all video. But don't force them to go there. Okay. Let the video show up for in their daily system. So keep integrations very strong, very easy but keep the storage in one place so that you can manage the network, the content, the distribution centrally and easily. But you don't have to make people come to the repository all the time. Okay. That's the way it goes. And that's how all our large customers use it. Okay. So, so, for me, so and, and I think this is where we would differentiate between uh, creators and consumers. So on the creator side, there's a central hub where you would say, look, if you're creating anything video related, host it here, put it here, manage it. Like this is where it goes. So that going back to, and Sarika brought this up, right? From a quality control standpoint, we know video content is here, which allows us to manage and govern it through the central host. But the consumer doesn't necessarily need to know that that's where all this stuff is managed that then can be that can be consumed you're integrating in with other platforms so that those videos are coming through where people need them yes yeah but by the way what is the most common way people find stuff they just google they google it so yeah so inside the organization also they google they do a search and the content will be will show up from anywhere so as long as your content or your central repository of videos is integrated with your systems that's the that's the main way people are going to find it. So the people who are viewing videos or finding them, they don't need to know where they are. Creators, as you said earlier, they absolutely need to know where they go. Okay. 
Okay. So, but does it, cause this is one of the things where I think it's a balancing act where sometimes, yes, you want to consume video where you are, but sometimes it is nice to know, Hey, if I, I mean, that's why I like YouTube because I, if I need to look something up, I know I can go to YouTube. Yes, I can Google it, but it is nice to know, Hey, this is the video site. If I'm looking for a video on this, I can find it here. Cause if you do a Google search, the challenge can be, you might get a video yeah. from here and here and here and ones and embedded in yeah. a website that is a mess. And you're like, ah, I don't want yeah. that. I just want to go to YouTube because I know it's a consistent experience and I know I can find videos there. Are, are they also creating kind of that portal or that hub of. Yeah, you know, this is happening all the time, Christopher. I mean, what we see from the data of all the customer domains is it doesn't matter in how many places they have integrated the video repository and how strongly they encourage people to go to those respective portals or systems. The direct view into the K-Point repository does not go down. Really? You know, because the creator creates a video, it ends up in the repository, he picks up the link and he emails it, or he puts it in your Slack group. And people click on it, they watch the video. So that's a direct view. Now you can work things like, you know, give them credit for watching that in case that's a learning video in your LMS or LXP, that's possible. Okay. But people do like the convenience of getting the link and clicking on it and the thing playing. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you hit, you hit on something that I want to ask then here. So if this is, because again, we talked earlier on that not all video is learning video or training video. Yes. There's, there's videos that are used for a lot of different purposes, but then, you know, if it is a learning video, it can, when you're integrating this in, you can have it communicate back that, hey, this is actually, you're giving people credit or you have a record for it or things like that. You've built the connections between those so that it can, yes. for purposes needed, give that credit. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a must. I mean, you, you need to have integrations on two points. Well, I would say three. First of all, the video has to play in your learning system. And that must be pretty easy. So if the learning admin is looking for some content, the video from K-Point needs to show up there. That's pretty easy to manage. The second is the analytics that you produce in your learning analytics needs to actually show the analytics from the video repository. Yeah. It shouldn't be that I have clicked on the video, that means I get the credit. I need to actually look at what percentage of video was viewed, and that's there with the K-Point server. Okay. So that data needs to be brought in. So there's deeper, uh, you're, pulling, you're pulling deeper analytics versus correct, correct. Yeah, they clicked on it. Well, that doesn't really yeah. tell me anything. Yeah, I want to know watch through rates and all this other stuff. Yes. And the third part is, you know, uh, videos are no longer opaque objects today, especially with K-Point. You know, it enables deep search to the spoken word, to the content on the slides. Okay. And, you know, you're chaptering. So when you search in your learning system for content, uh, the integration has to be such that it searches deep inside the K-Point, you know, deep search and pulls that content out into your learning system. Okay. So those are the three levels of integrations, I would say. Okay. So I want to talk about that one because I think this is one of the ones that people don't a lot of times. This is where I've seen people write off video because they don't understand the capabilities and potential of deep search. And so they'll go, well, videos are fine, but the problem is you have these big videos and, and nobody's going to go through and find it. It's like, well, yes, if the technology you're using doesn't have any of that, you're right. You're right. If you have 9,000 hour long videos, 
people probably aren't going to find it because the title's just not enough. But if it's doing deep search and analyzing what's being spoken, what's on the slide, all that stuff, and it's finding that data. So when somebody searches for that term, that can come up as a recommendation of, hey, this was this was here and that's where it is in the video. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually there in the system. In fact, KPoint's genesis was in making uh, web meeting recordings searchable deeply. Okay. So uh, that's how we began. That was. I was going to say, I have to imagine that was probably one of the pain points you wanted to make sure that you were addressing based on the story of why you ended up creating KPoint in the first place. Because if it was like, we need to create this knowledge management, but if this knowledge yeah. management's locked in this object that you have this black box of, well, we have a video, but I have no idea, you know, what's in yeah, here. Absolutely. That you know, the human psychology came into our mind that time. See, if you ask me to attend a webinar, I'll mark up, mark one hour away on my calendar. But I missed the webinar. The next day, I want to watch the recording. Am I going to spend an hour looking through the recording? No. I'll fall asleep watching it because it's already so dull at times. I want to go to the point of interest. So that's how we began. Okay. By saying that we will make the webinar recording deeply searchable. Okay. Okay. Taking a slightly broader view of it, even when I watch YouTube videos, there are three basic things that help me out. And not this is not always true with YouTube, but we have these some of these things in K point. One is that I want to know what's in this video. So in other words, I need to know the highlights of this video. Okay. Okay, uh, YouTube doesn't give you this, but we no. do. But I would appreciate it if they did. The second thing to me is being able to search within the video. And I so let's say I know this video is about uh, some regulation, and I on, only want to know how it impacts Illinois. So I want to just jump to the places where Illinois is mentioned, so I can just focus on that. And I think that is something I would like to do. Again, this is not possible with, say, YouTube videos. The third feature they do have, and I love that one, is the speed. Yes. There is no video that I ever listen to at normal speed. I always start with uh, twice the speed. If there's a fast talker like you, uh, Christopher, or me, I'll uh, kind of slow down. Okay. <laughs> But generally, I would go with fast speed. So like you said, uh, even if you didn't have search, you didn't have highlights, a one-hour webinar video, I'm going to watch in 30 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Yep. Uh, and then slow down. Well, what's funny about this, and I think this is something that as creators, especially in learning and development, we have to get comfortable with and be willing to overcome is, you know, sometimes when you create your content, you, you develop this personal attachment to it, right? It almost becomes this personal attachment. And that's dangerous because when you do, that's when you go, well, I made this video, people have to watch the whole thing. And, and, and really, no, no, you need to let go of that and say, no, what I care most about as a creator is that people get value out of the content I created. And uh, if, that's, if that's 30 seconds at minute 42, so be it. Great. That's fine. I didn't create this to force everybody through. And I think we're getting to that point of, you know, this is where we talk about personalization at a new level where we're saying it's not about forcing everybody through the same experience, whether that's the speed of the video, whether it's the length of time in the video, whether it's where they consume the video at a portal or in Slack or Teams or whatever. It's about saying, what do you need and what is the best way to get you what you need? not force you through what I've designed because I'm the architect of this. 
Yeah, so the easy, easiest way for me to map this is map it to documents. When you hand over a document to somebody, are you making sure he's reading every word? I don't think so. So you might as well not expect that from your video. But people like to think that. Yeah. I, mean, think, I just think of resumes. If you've ever hired people, you'll see sometimes you get these resumes that are 37 pages long. And so be it that, you know, this person is, is thinks it's super valuable information, but nobody's reading 30 pages of that because they're just scanning and finding what is the relevant information based on what I need. And I think that's where I think there's opportunity for people to understand more about the possibilities of what video can do today, because I think a lot of people are still operating on a legacy mindset of what video is, which is it has to be super professional. It has to be done perfect. It's this black box object that you don't have visibility into or anything like that. And so, yeah, if you're still operating under that, you might look at video and go, I'm not really seeing why it's such a big thing. But if you're talking about it in the sense that we are, that's transformational. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So let's one last one that I'm curious of, and, and this will be an interesting one. I'm curious if you have any insights or data on this, but we talked a little bit about this before we went live, which is I have seen over the years so many non-data validated things about videos must be this. They must be this length. They must be this of this quality. I think you brought up a really interesting point, uh, Sridhar, about the importance of audio quality. I think that's one that, you know, there might be some data proving yeah. that. But I'm curious if, you, if you've seen over the years any sort of, you know, recommendations or non-recommendations around, hey, when you think about video, this is how you should think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, first of all, it's important to recognize, Christopher, that video comes in many different uh forms and shapes because you know their objectives are different the stature of the creator is different the end use is different the point at which the video gets consumed is different so i'll give you an example if let's say it's a product help video you know you have a product and you've created certain content to help people along in using it now when is a person likely to watch that video only when he needs to get that problem solved right so in such a video, if you kind of go on rambling and give the sales pitch of the product before you actually say how the problem is to be solved, then you've not done the right thing. So better get to the point, be brief, be precise, and get them out to do their work. Yep. So those videos need to be small. Then there are also videos which are like, uh, you know, intense knowledge sharing videos. And even there, people are likely to come in and watch either the whole length in certain cases, but also on a precise, uh, you know, referral objective in a certain portion of the video. Okay. So one has to have a nice combination of a length that the content deserves, and yet the convenience of getting exactly what I want out of it. Okay. Okay. So there should be no restriction on the length of the video because if something has to be 20 minutes long, it better be 20 minutes long. <laughs> but when I come to watch it, right, you can't force me to watch 20 minutes, which is why the chaptering and, you know, in a way, pseudo uh, micro learning imposed on a longer video comes in very handy. Turning a long so, form video into capabilities that allow, allow it to be used in short form. And we've seen that happen, by the way. 
Okay. Okay. Well, you know, and it's, it's funny because I think that that is the case where it goes back to allow people to do, let the outcome drive what you're trying to do. So to your point, what are you trying to accomplish with this thing? Think about your consumer and think about how would they be using this video? But then the beauty of technology is because the reality is you're never going to get it a hundred percent, right? You're going to have somebody who's like, well, I would really want to watch, you know, a long video or something like that. And now because of the technology, you can actually turn that into short form. I mean, I even think back to when I first started this show, I remember people saying, oh, you can't make it an hour because it can only be 20 minutes. And I remember going, I can't talk through a learning concept in 20 minutes. You just can't go into any level of depth to do demystify it. You can't do it in 20 minutes. And so, you know, and, but the data has proven it because I have all the analytics on it. People watch it through. Now, granted, are they all watching it in one sitting? Probably not, but it's about the fact of thinking about how are you trying to do this and what's the best way possible. Actually, your example is is a a good segue to say that there's a large percentage of content that we get are videos that are not created from scratch, which can be small. But most, a lot of the content we get is a byproduct of some other activity, such as this one. We are right now talking for about an hour. So this video is sort of a byproduct of your live stream. And these videos need these other features, such as being able to chapter them, jump through, look for information that they want instead of listening to it like a novel from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you guys can help me out with that part. Cause like you said, you we talked about YouTube and unfortunately YouTube does not have a lot of that functionality. So, and I, and I will say for a lot of learning leaders out there, and this may be a valuable kind of, of course, I say this at the end, which is probably where people, you know, watch it the least, but is the fact that when you think about this stuff, that's an important factor to consider. And I think a lot of organizations struggle with that right now that they have 10 different tools that they're trying to, they're taking the video, they're running it through a transcription, then they're having somebody go through and try and pick out the highlights. And then they're putting, I mean, that's a lot of work. And so it sounds like from what you're saying, technology is actually eliminating a lot of that inefficiency. Yes. And you know, there is one more angle that comes in, Christopher, I'll mention it very quickly. It's far harder to create a short video than to create a video of the length it needs to be naturally for you as a creator. <laughs> it's it's true. And I think that's one of the things where sometimes it can be helpful to create long form video. And then if you need to chunk it, so yeah. if you need to chop it up or take highlights of it or things like that from along the way, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. I, I do think that does do a disservice sometimes when people create these arbitrary rules of, well, we can't yeah. create a video longer than this. If it yeah. takes that long to talk through a concept, it takes that long to talk through a concept. Let the let the outcome determine the length, not the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've had we've had a good watch through rate. So apparently, we've been talking about something interesting because people have found value in it. So this has been an awesome way to end my first week uh, in in the new transition here. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the weekend. But I really appreciate you making. The time to join me and this has been fun just chewing through some of these challenges with video you know Sridhar, i i especially appreciate you staying up and hanging out you didn't even take oh. your whiskey so yeah yeah i just 
decided to keep it uh, I'll enjoy it after this is over. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you for the time. Thanks, everybody who's been watching. Hopefully, you got something valuable out of it. And we will see you next week. Have a wonderful weekend.